0: Welcome back to the Major Journey Podcast. I am exceptionally excited for our conversation as today's guest is the Senior Vice President of Event Partnerships at Benzinga. He's a host of the Cannabis Insider Podcast and has played a massive role in bringing together some of the cannabis industry's most key power players in one place to do business and get deals done. Let's just jump right on into it. Elliot Lane, welcome to the show, brother. How are you?
1: I am good, Mike. I don't know if you all are How I Met Your Mother fans, but you say Major Journey Podcast, and I just want to salute you and go, Major Journey. Uh, <laughs> it is nice to be on, man. I appreciate you having me.
0: Likewise, brother. So hey, listen, first things first, I always like to kick off each show by asking guests what was their journey like getting into the cannabis space, getting into the cannabis industry? What drew them to it? And so just in good old, old you know, traditional fashion, what was your journey like getting into the space and how did you end up? at Benzinga doing what you're doing today?
1: Uh, good old fashioned nepotism, my friend. Uh, <laughs> but all that said, uh, you know, in reality, I, I moved to New York right after college uh, to pursue musical theater, acting, and um, performing. Did that for five years uh, pretty steadily. Um, after a while, you start saying yes to, to opportunities as they come your way. Uh, for for one reason or another, so I was managing restaurants in the city um you know uh, this is pre covid um you know, but after a while, you know I was just chatting with um my brother, uh who many people in the space know um and he worked at Benzinga and he tried to explain to me what he did several times, and I was just like, I have no idea what you just said to me, <laughs> so you have a good day uh we'll talk to you at Christmas um eventually, I thought I was. You know, I was like, all right, let's 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 give it a shot. Let's see what happens. Um, went to Detroit for a week where Benzinga is headquartered. Uh, dove in, and you know, actually, my first start in Benzinga was fintech. Um, <laughs> so I dove in as a sales rep, um, selling brokerages, selling trading technology firms, selling data firms, selling. You know, my first event. You know, we had TD Ameritrade, uh, Acorns, the automated brokerage, E-Trade, Fidelity. Um, WeBull. and I have to tell you, I knew all of two uh, of those names and what they actually did. Um, so I definitely come from a, a fintech perspective. Um, but almost simultaneously, we were working on the second iteration of the Cannabis Capital Conference. So I've been around for every single one of the Cannabis Capital conferences except for the very first in 2018 in Toronto. Uh, so we were doing a Florida one in early 2019, and. Um, that's when I started working with TrueLeave. with, um, uh, there was a a cannabis company in Canada that was essentially the, what Tilray is now the largest in the world. And then they got smacked in the face, uh, for having illegal facilities and they no longer exist. Um, so it was, it was a different landscape back then, man. You know, we had the MSOs, um, gobbling everything up and it was an introduction to the space as an event sales rep eventually. I started um, really diving in, uh, getting to know the executives in the space, you know, trying to assist with getting their messaging out through podcasts, through media, um, and, and started working on our agenda. Um, you know, so now it, it really is a full-fledged partnership system, uh, in, in my eyes, helping create visibility, create a platform for companies in the space to garner Uh, brand awareness to garner executive awareness to garner communication to uh like-minded individuals uh, and and entrepreneurs and companies uh so that's where i feel i sit today it was a very jarring shift uh from where i came from but i have a blast i love this space i love the people in it um and i really couldn't see working in any other space being nearly as much uh we'll say both fun and volatile.
0: Yeah, that's safe to say that's that's totally, totally a thousand percent accurate. Um, I love the mm-hmm. fact that nobody has the same exact backstory coming into mm-hmm. the space. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. And you mentioned how you've been along ever since the second Benzega Cannabis Capital Conference. So I'd imagine you've been able to meet, be around and absorb a lot of observations uh, information, things like that over over a long period of time from some of the, the the largest, most powerful cannabis industry power players that are still standing today. So have you seen a common denominator amongst some of the more successful companies over time in what they've been able to do to sort of Keep that longevity and keep that strong foundation that's been able to help them weather some of the storms and some of the market volatility that we've seen over the years versus some of the others that have, you know, for lack of a better word, just kind of fizzled out over time?
1: I think there's different answers for that depending on which year you ask me that over the last five years. <laughs> um, but like today, you know, looking at those who have, we'll say, survived um, over the last five years. You know, I think there's a mix of uh, these executives are hungry yet humble. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is hungry being that they strive for innovation. They strive to be the best product. They strive for that quality. They strive uh, to bring that to the consumer mixed with the fact that a CEO um, that has a banking background may not have the best insights into, um, you know, which strain or, um, you know, what terpenes or, you know, so, so it's a mix. I think those companies that have done well are bringing a quality product um, to as many people as they can um, while leading with multiple people that can get them to, to more mature spaces. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but it just feels like um, no one, no CEO can do it all in this space with the with where we are at. Um, and I feel like a lot of people put that expectation on those executives. When mm. in my mind, those executives should be opening the door for their team um, to create a success story. And I think those are the yeah. companies that have survived.
0: Yeah, and that almost sounds to me like how a lot of times, even outside of cannabis, a lot of companies will, the demise of them can sometimes be because of the wrong people filling the wrong roles and stepping into the wrong shoes where maybe there should have been a little bit of just a diversified background of talent coming into play to support certain roles where to your point, like you said, you may need somebody to step into one position that has a a better equipped background with developing different strains. Maybe you need somebody with a background who is able to speak to the banking and to the financials aspect of a particular organization and where they're at, depending on where they're at in their, in their life cycle and what challenges they're, they're facing. So I think, I think you just nailed it right there. That's definitely been key. both outside of cannabis and definitely inside of cannabis, because there are so many people coming into this space from different industries and verticals with a plethora of different backgrounds. I think we have a lot of great talent at our disposal. It's just a matter of picking the right players to step into the right shoes and fill those those roles that are, are needed throughout Absolutely. a life cycle of a, of a company.
1: I think there's still interest in jumping into the space. Right. I think the space, you know, can do a better job at protecting the employee all the way around. Um, Mm. You know, and I think that's a whole different conversation. Um, You know, but one more thing I did leave out there is successful communication um, with the consumer. Uh, And I say that in the sense that, you know, knowing who your consumer is first and foremost, uh, but also making it easy for new consumers to understand your product, access to your product. But, um, you know, a lot of new consumers come in with a certain goal. You know, some are just recreational, but some want to focus, somewhat, you know, um, wellness-focused products, right? Um, And and I think there are companies that do it very well, uh, but a lot lot of companies in the space lack really good consumer education. Uh, And I think the ones that do have that type of full-blown access are the ones who have won um so far the the you know the the quantity as opposed to quality when it comes to consumer communication so i think meeting in the middle there um will probably push the next winners forward i may have jumped a step there mike but it was just (laughs) on my mind man it was just right there
0: no man, you are all good. I could see your facial expression. I know this is an audio-only podcast, but I could see your facial expression. I could see you digging deep into those thoughts, just trying to rip the right answer out with the right contextual <laughs> um, analogy to, to to pull it through and, and send it home. But no, that that makes total sense. And even so, on that on that beat of communication, um, I think a lot of brands, and I'd be very curious to get your take on this. A lot of brands do struggle with putting together a communication program that will effectively drive home their message, their value prop to the right user at whether that be a someone who's kind of curious to your point, like you said, maybe somebody who's looking for cannabis to alleviate um, ailments, or it could be somebody who's just in the adult use market looking to take the edge off after a long day of work. So I know with Benzinga, you guys do, of course, editorial, earned coverage. You also have um, paid media as part Mm -hmm. of Benzinga. So can you kind of break down how a brand would, from your perspective, approach both earned media and paid media in an effort to really help amplify their communication efforts and dial in what they're communicating to the right people?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, first and foremost, it's worth acknowledging that Marketers in cannabis obviously have fewer channels to communicate.
0: Uh, so I don't want you know
1: true. any CMOs calling me later and being like, dude, come on. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I do think, you know, they are um, stuck uh, in, in some senses where a lot of other people can, you know, can advertise and talk openly about their product in Facebook uh, or Instagram without being shadow banned. Um, but past that, I mean, that, that just leads you to having to find channels that are friendly. And, you know, I think media is absolutely part of that. That's, that's a perspective of the public. You're carving out your, your company narrative, whether it's for investors, whether it's for buyers, uh, whether it's for colleagues uh, and peers, Um, you know, and media is a very valuable uh, tool. But at the end of the day, media is there for the reader. Uh, they're not there for the company uh, when Mm. it comes to earned media, right? So there is a bit of a juxtaposition there in terms of how we respond or how any media company responds to editorial pitches uh, versus how they respond to controlled messaging from the company, right? And how they have to present that. Um, However, it shouldn't be a hesitation to be like, Oh, uh, there's a there's a partner advertiser disclosure on this article, right? Um, you know, you paid for your packaging. You know, you pay for ads to be boosted on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook when you can. Um, you know, you pay for CPMs uh, throughout um, you know, Google or or wherever you're you're putting those types of uh, ads out there. Um content is just another way to do it. But it is legitimate communication. It could be written. Content could be video content, could be searchable content focused on ranking high in, um, you know, particular uh, keywords or key phrases. Right? Content is very valuable to the cannabis space, and I think it's underrated in terms of uh, how valuable it really is. Uh, however, a good media site, if you want my honest opinion on vetting, should be the majority editorial right. You know, it should be trustworthy news for the the reader. And Benzinga is 98, 99% earned media, right? You know, we are highly earned, highly for the reader, highly for what we feel affects their day-to-day when it comes to investment knowledge and building their individual wealth. Uh, But at the end of the day, uh, we want companies to be able to communicate to our audience and written content, albeit with disclosures, uh, is an easy way to accomplish that. And Benzinga is the largest um, media company that covers the industry, anywhere from 10 to 40 articles a day, depending on how much news flow. Um, By far the largest amount of page views, uh, at least of domestic audiences. So, you know, I think media can be very valuable uh, with what it offers on the sponsored side. However, when you think of earned versus unearned, is it for the reader or is it for you, Mm. right? And that, in my mind, is how you differentiate.
0: That's a great way to break it down right there, and I haven't heard that that analogy or that breakdown ever before. But I think that's that's spot on right there. Um, I know a lot of people always are always asking, you know, what does it take to, and not just with Benzinga, but I remember sitting at um, at MJ BizCon this past year as well in a panel where, where you were on and you were discussing the the nature of, of earned media versus paid media, the pros, the cons to to both and just what, that, what those two landscapes look like. It's essential to have both, I think, in a brand's playbook uh, because one of them you're able to really get into the news cycle, you're able to offer your expertise on whatever it is that the audience may be wanting to know about at that given time. But then there are plenty of other times where maybe to your point, um, when there's something that a company really wants to put out there that may not necessarily fit into the news cycle, but it still is relevant and does warrant value to the reader, that's where maybe doing some, some paid media, like an advertorial, for, for instance, or something along those lines, could still be valuable to, to everybody. But there you have a, maybe a little bit more control over timing of when something gets published in, in that realm.
1: I, I think you'll see. Um, you're absolutely right. I think you'll see a readership doesn't decline. You know, when you when you go through anybody's any news company's app, uh, you know how you can just scroll up. You can filter what's what's good for you. You can do the same on Benzinga. Benzinga's app. We have different industries you can focus on. But when it comes to sponsored content, we don't see any drop off hmm. in, in interested readership there. Obviously, when you have headlines like Elon Musk made his mom sleep on a you know a mattress on the ground in his garage,
0: you're gonna get some clicks.
1: Clickbait, right? <laughs> we can all admit that. But, you know, from normal articles that, uh, you know, aren't quite as clickbaity, um but are still consequential to the market versus uh, what a company wants to put out there, readers are still interested in both, um, especially if it has influence on what they buy, whether it's products uh, and, you know, consumable materials or whether it's
0: stocks. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And then speaking of that, too, uh, I want to dive into the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference coming up in April. Uh, I'm super excited. Admittedly, this is going to be my very first uh, Capital Conference that I'll be attending. So I'm super pumped about it. I know I've talked to you about it, kind of what to expect. But for everybody listening, if they're a first time, if this is their first time going at it, or maybe if they're coming back for round two, round three, whatever it may be, what can folks uh, expect from this year's Capital Conference coming up in in Hollywood in April?
1: So um, if you're coming back, We are adjusting format of content a bit. Previously, you know, we've had a stage focused on finance and a stage focused on CPG running side by side both days. We're lessening the amount of content. Uh, We're currently pacing ahead in terms of, um, you know, attendance for for our events this year, which is exciting. I think, you know, it, it is worth saying that people are still doing business. People are still looking to innovate. People are still looking for ways to get ahead um, in in the markets. And as I posted on LinkedIn uh, recently, um, B2B events are a pillar in creating those partnerships that drive innovation and drive revenue growth. Um, There are very few more effective ways to meet, albeit somebody random, but somebody that you would not have met otherwise. Um, And B2B events can offer um, some really cool branches of your business. And I think that's worth mentioning because at the end of the day, B2B events, the value they drive uh, comes from the quote unquote stack of business cards that you leave with at the end of the day, or the the new contacts in your phone, uh, the new LinkedIn uh, connections, whatever it is, that is the value uh, of what conferences are. Um, is in-person connection uh, and true business discussion. Uh, And I guarantee you there is more opportunity to to do that at events, whether it's Benzinga or any other event, for that matter. There's more opportunity to do that events in two or three days than you can get done in two months, finding new uh, people to work with who are also looking for new people to work with. So that, I think that last point is really key. Uh, in the successive events. So, all that said, back to your question. <laughs> it's all circles around here, Mike. Back to your question. We're lessening the amount of content, um, uh, but we'll still have a good amount of it for for people to pay attention to on the finance side. What investors are looking for. Uh, what are C, what are CPG trends in the space right now? How are outside industries looking at our space? Regulatory discussions uh, with current and past lawmakers. Um, you know, presence from new states and state markets, Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of different value at our event. So we're the Cannabis Capital Conference, uh, but this is an industry event where, you know, partnerships drive a ton of value. Debt financing drives a ton of value uh, when it's affordable. (laughs) Um, Equity financing, obviously difficult in the space at large right now. And it doesn't matter if you are at our event, Canaccord, any sell-side conference, it's going to be difficult no matter where you are. But money is there to be found if you have a business that is running operationally uh, efficiently uh, and, and, and well. So I will say that, you know, it is a difficult time in the space right now. But if you are building your business from the ground up uh, in a way that is sustainable, there is a lot of success to be had.
0: Yeah. And I've I've seen that pattern, especially over twenty twenty three, where a lot of where a lot of the the murmurs have taken place around conversations, such as saying, you know, investors are on the sidelines, they are not coming anywhere near cannabis. And I have to agree with what you just said because there's a very specific caveat to that. They may not be coming in as hot as they used to. However, when they see a company that is you know, positive EBITDA or they have a good run rate or they're able to manage their 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 capital well. And it's not just a dumpster where investors are going in every six months just trying to put more money into it, put more money into it with not with zero That's coming over. back into it. Yeah. Game over. That's not happening yeah. again. But to your no. point, for the folks that are actually running a tight ship, they've been able to weather multiple storms. Um, you know, cash flow positive. I think there is still a tremendous amount of opportunity. And I've had this conversation with a lot of folks where it almost seems to me, and I'd love to get your take on this. It almost seems to me like the industry is at a point, at an inflection point of last man or or last gal standing. And it's almost like the tide came in. And if you were running a a tight ship, you had everything buttoned up, you're in good shape now. But if you were kind of loosey-goosey because you had all this investor money and you weren't necessarily concerned about you know, keeping things in order because you just thought the money was going to keep flowing, those, those organizations are, are starting to, to dwindle out a bit. Um, I've heard that. I've had conversations with folks about it. I'm, I'm, that's kind of the, the sentiment that I'm, that I'm picking up on lately. I'd be curious to get your, your take on that.
1: Yeah, you know, 2024 is going to be looked at, I think, as the turning point, whatever that mm. turning point is. Right. I think it'll be positive, you know, if you want to get to, you know, crystal balls later on. I do think it'll be positive, you know, at least slightly. Um, but 2023 was the year that mattered. Um, 2023, what you did in reaction to, you know, post-February 2022 when the market started tanking uh, for cannabis and money, you know, just hit the Sahara Desert uh, and dried up for a little while, Um If you did nothing in response to that, it's going to be tough, right? And and at the end of the day, doing business is always going to be competitive and probably at some point somewhat cutthroat. And I think there's a big resistance to that corporate mindset and landscape and cannabis which I have no argument with, right? It'd be great if everybody could survive. If all legacy growers and retailers and people who have participated in the market and fought for what the market is today can succeed. Uh, in fact, I prefer that. And you know, we offer free access to our conferences uh, for those who have been affected by the war on drugs, for veterans, for minority owners, for uh, for women entrepreneurs. Um, you know, for a first time uh, attendee. You know, we want you to come and get value and grow your business, um, you know, with the people that are there, which are very high quality executives. Uh, So that is, you know, part of what we are trying to do is create space for that group. But at the end of the day, uh, it's far beyond our control. It's far beyond any investor's control. It's far beyond any entrepreneur's control. There will be um, more companies that go out of business, whether this year ends healthier whether this year ends unhealthier for an industry at large, uh, I don't think it matters. But there's so much competition in this space right now. There's so many product skews out there. I find it hard to imagine that we won't see still uh, companies dissolve in, in one sense or the other or be gobbled up, be acquired, whatever it may be. I think the space ends up a little smaller than it was, whether it's healthier or unhealthier. Uh, I do think it ends up, uh, you know, in a more positive place, whatever that may be at the end of the year. So it may not be a sexy answer, um, you know, but I think some realism is needed, you know, and then you take a look at your business in the mirror and you say, I need to do this if I'm going to make it to 2025 or I need to do this. I'm going to make it to 2026, right? You know, nobody knows that, but you. So, uh, you know, that, that, It's probably unneeded advice to entrepreneurs, but one thing that I know to be true is that you don't have to do it by yourself. If you're looking for somebody to come in and help you uh, get your ship right, um, you know, just reach out. You know, we'll see about, you know, connecting you with, um, you know, good fractional CFOs or, you know, I mean, there's so much opportunity to be had at events. If you're just trying to right the ship, um, if you're just trying to, um, you know, find a marketing partner Uh, if you're trying to find somebody to buy an asset. M and A is one of the hottest things at our event. So, all in all, man, back to the point: a lot of things are going to happen this year, but there are a lot of solutions to be had as well.
0: Yeah, no, you you drove that home perfectly. And one thing I wanna I wanna really just stress too, and this isn't me trying to sell the the conference at all, but this is just really what's happened to me with me and my business. I found that the answers always lied in other people. Like it was, mm-hmm. yes, it was, it was me driving the business, you know, whatever support I had, I had on my team, amazing. But at the end of the day, I needed to go to somebody else to bounce idea off ideas off of. I mean, shoot, you and I have, have bounced off, you know, mm-hmm. ideas, both being, you know, based in North Carolina, we've kind of had chats about what the industry may look like in the future, how we can potentially, you know, tee ourselves up to, to help support people coming into this space. Right. But, but those conversations, it's hard to have those conversations take place online sometimes and taking it offline and bringing it in person for me personally has been an absolute game changer for, for me and my business. And even for my own sanity, just being able to connect with other people and trying to get some answers for some of these questions that have just been just burning a hole in my brain sometimes. So, but like, at the end of the day, I think just being able to have candid conversations like how you and I were just going back and forth and you even said it, you're like, hey, this isn't a sexy answer, but I'm just giving it to you how it is. I think those conversations are really important to have. And to your point, I think, you know, there's a, like you said, there's going to be a lot of content at Benzinga, but I think the conversations that are going to be taking place are going to mm-hmm. be very interesting, especially now that we're in 2024. Um, even and this is something I want to get your take on as well, uh, even with the recent HHS uh documents that were released regarding you know, rescheduling, uh, safer banking obviously being a big uh, talking point. This being an election year, I think a lot of people are trying to look through that crystal ball and try to figure out, OK, where are we going? What should we prepare for? What are some of the things that we can put in place? Who should we bring on to our team? Um, so I think all of that to be said, I think just connecting with other people in the space is, is, is mm-hmm. huge. It's powerful. I think there's a lot of value in it. Um, and I'd love to get your your take with all the things I just kind of mentioned. Do you have any kind of gut feelings or, or strong personal outlooks on what we can potentially expect to come from the industry this year?
1: I would be surprised if eventually Schedule Three is not what happens this year. Um, <laughs> I you know I think the next likely hood outside of you know for me Schedule Three is the most likely happening. Schedule two is the next likeliest, albeit I think, further down. I don't think nothing will happen, and mm-hmm. I don't think descheduling is likely. You know, and it's unlikely, just given the history uh, of the two organizations working together, that the DEA goes away from the HHS recommendation. Mm-hmm. So, it is possible that we see a schedule two, uh, and we you know you see them trying the you know the federal side trying to claim that as a win. That, you know something happened but obviously that's very different than, than right. what we would look for and I don't think anybody uh, outside a few could predict what that looks like I and mean, I think even with schedule three there's still some bearishness out there about you know wh- how long does it take to actually build the structure of what that means for companies tax wise right? right how long does it actually take to implement that um, you know and, and I think if you look at some of the analysts out there um, they're saying as much. You know, in, in their coverage of the space, um, you know, it, it may hit Schedule 3 at 420, you know, it may hit Schedule 3 in the summer, but when do those tax regulations actually go into place is also something we should be, you know, asking or is immediate. You know, I, I mean, it, parts of it could be immediate, parts of it could be a year away mm-hmm. uh, in terms of actually building what that means for the structure of the market, uh, you know, whether they start enforcing it more medically uh, or or not, right? And a lot of questions uh, when it comes to rescheduling versus descheduling. Um, but that said, I think the space is desperate for some news. And I think when you take the rescheduling and, and just put that as, it is a step toward normalcy, a step towards respect as an industry, um, you know, albeit not where I think we should be content. I do think descheduling should be the goal. But until there's more research, it's hard to imagine descheduling happening. So I think rescheduling happens. I think we see stocks start to be valued more closer appropriately. However, I don't think institutions are going to jump in um, liquidity-wise until after something happens. Um, I think they'll take the the losses between now and then uh, as it starts to go up, but I still think once rescheduling hits, there's such a big jump uh to where these stocks actually should be valued as a business, or some of them, um, <laughs> that institutions will take that win. Right. So I think you start to see more liquidity injected into the space no matter what come rescheduling. And I think 2024 ends better than it started.
0: Yeah. No, that that's a great outlook right there. And then um in regard to public markets, do you think that we could potentially see institution-wise um, something similar uh, of which recently happened with uh, the Bitcoin spot ETF approval, where once something, once a monumental shift like that happens, where you know somebody signs off on something, and now institutions kind of have a little bit of a green light and a little bit of a safety in place to say, okay, now we can begin to participate. You think? Is that kind of what you were getting at where there's gonna be this this you know green light moment and all of a sudden institutions will feel a lot more comfortable adding cannabis companies into their their portfolios?
1: I think this is a step in between uh where we are now and the Bitcoin ETF.
0: Hmm.
1: Um I think companies obviously could have invested into Bitcoin, uh or institutions could invest into the Bitcoin prior. Um obviously in, in a different way with different you know, security, right? You know, now you can just go buy an ETF uh, right. for more, you know, more or less, right? Um, you know, and that in its own right is it creates more access. It creates more opportunity for public ownership. And rescheduling does not do that for the cannabis space, right? You know, it, until these U.S. companies are able to list on NASDAQ or NYSE. NICE, Uh, and be accessible to all US investors through all retail brokerages like Webull and Robinhood, who don't necessarily offer OTC, or at least without a fee, Mm -hmm. you know, those, that access rights, the markets, you start to see Canadian stocks being more correctly valued compared to their US peers. Um, And I think you start to see um, more reward for, uh, the U.S. side, I think the IPO market opens up. Uh, all in all, I think that you know, once we can see U.S. listings for cannabis companies, I think you see a resurgence of the space that could outpace our rescheduling.
0: Interesting. Yeah. No, I. But if I we're scheduling, set the groundwork,
1: man. It'll be even better. <laughs> so yeah. that's the goal.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also again to to what you mentioned before. It's a timing thing, right? Like, okay, they, mm-hmm. like it could be written into law, but then how long does it take for all these things to get implemented and for things to really start, you know, picking up pace and and getting into motion?
1: It makes it make sense at the end, you know, just to break it down into layman's terms. If I'm just a diversified um, individual investor, you know, I I work a nine to five at, at you know, some local credit union or bank, uh, and I, I invest in stocks in my own time, um, I may not know the cannabis space or understand, you know, you know all the things that we've discussed today. But I do know that if I see something happening in the news and I want to check to see what cannabis stocks I can invest in, I might go for s I might go for mm. CGC. I might go for High Tide or Village Farms uh, because they are accessible to me. And that is why you see those Canadian stocks take off anytime there's US federal news that happens because they're accessible. So if you have these US companies uh able to trade at a higher um, you know, times what they are now, which should already be happening, but it's not, um it it's gonna be much more rewarding for those that are invested.
0: Hmm. Great take. I like that. I like that perspective. Um, I know we've been jumping around a little bit here, but Elliot, real quick, um, is there anything else that folks should know about happening regarding Benzinga's Capital Conference coming up in April or any kind of new, you know, just new new things, new developments happening, uh, offerings, anything, you know, that that the team at Benzinga is doing to kind of help support the cannabis industry, the community, the, the businesses in it um, as we kind of, you know, kick off 2024?
1: Our tagline is where deals get done. That is our focus. If you're not coming to our events and finding it easy to meet with people, um, that's an issue. And that's something that I don't think will happen. Uh, I I have to say, unless you're trying not to meet with people, I think you'll find it pretty accessible uh, to meet those that you're trying to get in front of. So you know, if you're looking for anything in specific uh, and you're unsure if an event can help, I'd take 10 minutes, uh, you know, out of my time without a doubt to see if we can find something that works, right? You know, for us, this space is hard enough uh, without, you know, giving money where it's not going to work. And that's not our job. It's not what we're supposed to do. And I I say giving money, like buying hotel rooms, buying flights, you know, you can get your demo or or product out there if you want, uh, you know, through an exhibit, you know, you can, you know, get, you know up your credibility in the actual event with some branding um you know to help with networking uh we can talk thought leadership you know if you're an appropriate fit for our panels we can absolutely discuss that but there are a ton of ways to find value outside of just standard event participation uh and we want you there uh, no matter what that is so all in all man that's that's all I got uh for for new offerings um the newest would be we're adding a smaller local market event series. We're starting in California, February 22nd at Bioscience Los Angeles in Culver City. Be there or be square. Go to bzcannabis.com for our cannabis capital conferences. Florida in April, Illinois in early October, and then for the cannabismarketspotlight.com. That's it. Cannabismarketspotlight.com. California in February, New York, New Jersey in May. Probably adding a few more, perhaps Michigan, maybe Colorado. Um, who knows one day, North Carolina, my friend, (laughs) Um, but that'll come down the road.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm excited for all of it. Uh, Elliot, thanks again just so much for taking the time out. I know you're you're involved in a lot of things. You got your hands in a lot of different projects. Um, so thank you again just for taking the time out to be with us, shedding light on all things cannabis, media, business, industry, public markets. I didn't even know we were going to go there, but I loved it. I had a great time. <laughs> um, I will put a link down to all of the resources that you just listed down below in the description so people can easily access all the goods. And until next time, brother, thank you so much again for your time. This was a blast. Thanks,
1: Mike. Appreciate you having me on, man. Always a pleasure hanging out with you.
0: Right back at you, brother. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Major Journey Podcast. We will catch you all next time. by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of cannabis podcasters right here on PodConX and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.